This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Interviews. Hello and welcome to NL Conversations. I am Maharaj and with us we have Mr. Anand Patwardhan. He is one of India's most influential documentary filmmakers. His vast and stunning body of work includes Ram Ke Naam, War and Peace, Jai Bheem Comrade and most recently Reason which is an eight-part documentary about growing intolerance and the erosion of secular democracy in India. He has won numerous awards over his long career, including multiple national film awards and film fair awards. Anand sir, welcome to News Laundry Conversations. How are you doing? I'm fine. Okay. I mean, personally okay, but everything around me in Bombay is getting worse and worse. It's all over the country. So, is, is there a project you are working on currently? Because you never seem to be not doing anything. There's always something going on. No, I'm currently more or less locked down except for a few visits to the grocery and stuff like that because things are pretty serious around here. Yeah. As you said, it's all over the country and, and what is being done to the migrants is the worst thing of all, uh, migrant labor. Hmm. But I'm, so I'm not out there with a the camera as I should be. In normal times, I would be. Hmm. But I am doing some things at home at the moment, I'm just looking at old home movies and trying to edit those. But I'm, okay. we are also running an online film festival. Uh, every week, we show a good documentary on our Facebook page. We, we ran a monthly screening in Juhu. For the, we've been running this for more than now 16 years. We started in 2004 when the government at that time had tried to bring in censorship at the Mumbai International Film Festival. And hmm. in protest against that, we started a parallel film festival called Vikalp. And okay. at Vikalp, we showed the films which didn't have censor certificates and which the government festival had not allowed to be screened. And we got a bigger audience than the government festival did. And since that time, we've been doing monthly screenings. But now, because of the lockdown, we can't do a physical screening. So we've decided to put it online. We asked the filmmaker for 48 hours and we put their film online where people can watch it. And then after that, they can have an interaction with the filmmaker. They can ask questions oh, and get replies. So we are now in the fifth week of doing that. Oh, wonderful. Uh, so let me start with that only. Uh, you, you were talking about the migrant situation, the utter devastation lockdown has caused to the lives and livelihoods of migrant workers and the poor and the marginalized. Yeah. Now it's almost coming up to two months, right? And the whole world is seeing these migrants on the roads, struggling, dying of exhaustion, of hunger. I actually, I was uh, speaking with uh, Dr. Sanjaya Baru last week. I had an interview with him and I asked him the same question. Yeah. How is it that for two months people are struggling, the whole world is watching it and the government doesn't seem to bother? Why is it? Yeah, he, he's a good person to ask because he went and supported the current government in the last <laughs> book that he wrote. So, so you should ask him and those who did this support. Uh, but I, I know that this government, the regime that we have put in power, is incapable of feeling anything for the poor, anything for minorities, anything for people who are other than their own crony capitalist class. And, uh, hmm. and the entire economy, as you see, even this 20,000 crore package is there to feed the business community. It is, there is nothing in it for the people who are really suffering in this country. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. And so you can see that is their policy. That has been their policy from day one. 
long before the coronavirus. And as hmm. far as the coronavirus is concerned, we know that the news of this virus came out in January. We already knew that in China, viruses were happening and people were dying. By February 12th, Rahul Gandhi had already alerted the country that this is an enormous danger. And yet, hmm. we did not put a quarantine on the people who are arriving by plane from abroad. We did not, we allowed them to go without any tracing. And all that was happening because, and we invited Donald Trump to Motera in Ahmedabad, where the lakhs and lakhs of people gathered. This is at the, at the time when the virus was spreading. Yeah. And then everybody talks about Tablighi Jamaat as if they, as if, and made it into a, you know, turned it into a communal kind of uh, analysis of the virus spreading. I mean, Tablighi Jamaat was responsible for spreading some of the virus, but nobody talks about the Motera gathering, which was happening around the same time. Hmm. And the fact that because Donald Trump was coming to India, we didn't do anything about lockdown or anything like that till after he left. And then suddenly with four hours notice, we did a lockdown and people were, and the people who were working class people were left without jobs, without shelter, without food, and they had to fend for themselves. So now the government is calling it Atman Nirbhar. They're calling it self-reliance, <laughs> you know, because people have no choice. Yes, that's true. So the only people who are helping these, uh, the, the labor and the, the people, the working class that is on the streets, I don't think we should even reduce it to just migrants. Yeah? These, these are, this is part of India's workforce. This is their working class. Yeah. And uh, some of them live in cities and some of them come from other places. But when everything shuts down and they have nothing, uh, nobody cares about them. And the same thing is true in uh, medical facilities. We have, we have ruined our healthcare system. We used to have a pretty robust public health system. But over the years, privatization has made it uh, such that only people with a lot of money can hope to survive in these hospitals. And, and mm. if you're poor, it's extremely a scary thing to be uh, if you go to a hospital. The chances of coming out of the hospital are you know, low if you come from that income class. Nobody pays you any attention. That's true. I, I'm, not even blaming, I'm not even blaming the health workers because the health workers themselves are the victims. Many of them yeah, are that's true. Many police people are dying. So it's, it's across the board, the working class is being hit by this virus. So, uh, when I spoke with uh, Dr. Barul last time, he said this was an administrative problem mainly because the state doesn't have the capacity to help these, help the poor and the marginalized. It doesn't have desire. It's not just the capacity. It has no desire to do it except if the elections are nearby and they need the votes. Right now, the elections are not anywhere near. So, they have hmm. zero desire. They have, they, they, of course, they're worried about the economy. And that is why you can see that they have taken steps now only to fix the economy as they see it, which means to give more money to crony capital. Hmm. But and they think that's going to fix the economy. But really, they cannot fix the economy if the poorest of the poor have no buying power. Economy cannot survive on the rich alone. Uh, so, sir, you have been an activist almost all your working life, all your adult life. So you have spoken about the rights of the workers. You have talked about environmentalism. You have talked about the Dalit Bahujan uh, issues. You have talked about the Bahujan left unity. And you have talked about how neoliberalism is creating these problems in this country, in a poor country. So if you look at all this, where is the intersection 
which can help us explain what's happening right now in India? Yeah, it's uh, basically, as I said, it's the complete abdication of responsibility on the part of the government towards the majority of this country, which is the poor. Hmm. For them, the majority is the Hindu majority. They are appealing to that all the time. But even hmm. in that Hindu majority, the majority is poor. And they're not willing, yeah. they're they not interested in the poor. Uh, because the poor have no, uh, for them, the poor are not visible. Uh, they don't want them to be visible. So they're not visible. Their ideas are not visible on our television screens or on in the mainstream media. And even on social media, only a, a few portals that carry this kind of news. So they, are, they feel very protected by the fact that they're, on, they're listening to themselves all the time. Hmm. How, how much of this can be explained uh, through caste, casteism? How much of a role does that play in this? This invisibilization of the poor and the Dalits, the Bahujans? Very the much. Muslims. I mean, if you, if you look at the word social distancing, we've been doing yeah. social distancing for thousands of years. We have socially hmm. distanced, you know, the upper caste is socially distanced from the people at the bottom, so what, whom they have kept at the bottom. And uh, they basically, as I said, they don't want to hear from them except when their vote matters. And hmm. nowadays, their vote maybe doesn't matter as much as it used to because they are resorting to things like EVM fixing as well as bombarding people with a kind of uh, a media that is fully in their control and bolstered by a, a legal system that they have also put fully in control. So the so actually. When, when I say the state is abdicating itself, even mm. the Supreme Court is ab abdicating. Even, even the courts should have actually taken action by now on so many mm. matters that they have not done. They have actually been completely under the thumb of the ruling dispensation. Whatever they want gets done. Coming, coming to the Supreme Court, after the Supreme Court's judgment on the Babri Masjid case, yeah. you said you were deeply disappointed and shocked, yeah. quote-unquote. So we all know how the judgment went, right? Yeah, they rewarded the people who demolished the Babri Mosque. When there's a case still going on about the demolition of the mosque, and we know who the guilty are because they've said so themselves. They, they, they have hardly been reticent about the fact that they demolished the mosque. But hmm. never got, they never got punished. And in fact, they've been, the Supreme Court rewarded them because the object of their action was to build a Ram temple at that spot which they have done, huh. which they are in the yes. process of doing. And they've rewarded, uh, yeah, so with no regard to history, no regard to archaeology. Yes. I mean, I, today I read in the paper that they've, now there's, they've entertained the Buddhist claim also. But this is long after yeah. they've already made the decision to, you know, give, the, give that spot to build a temple. Now they're saying the Buddhists also have a claim. So let's see what happens with that. That's true. So yeah, sorry. Uh, the, I mean, we know the, how the judgment went. Like you said, they essentially handed over the land to those very people who destroyed the mosque, essentially. Yeah. But now the construction has also started. Uh, no, I, I wrote an article about this, uh, a couple of articles yes. about this. And they forgot that the dispute, actually the first dispute that is referred to in the Supreme Court itself is hmm. a dispute that dates back to 1857. Yes that there was a dispute between Hindus and Muslims about that site. Now, that surely the Supreme Court knows the significance of the date 1857. 
that was the time mm. when hindus and muslims had united in this country to throw out the british yes so it was at that time that the british needed to create problems between hindus and muslims and babri mm. masjid was one of those problems that they created by floating the rumor that this was a ram temple that had been demolished by babar you know the evidence for that is just not there hmm. apart from the fact that uh, you know how does it matter what happened 500 years ago you can't come into my house and tell me that 500 years ago my ancestors lived there so now you get out you know if i have bought this property it belongs to me there's a rule hmm. of law that began after we became independent and you can't hmm. suddenly change that by saying 500 years ago this happened and 2000 years ago that happened 2000 years ago there would might have there was there is there's evidence of buddhist artifacts being found in ayodhya and if you go back mm. 5000 years ago there would be a tree that adivasis used to worship so you can go back endlessly in time there has to be a cut off to you know property disputes so anyway not only that but they they made ram lala baby ram into a litigant in yes. this matter you know that itself is shocking in a democ secular democracy that god himself is uh, is fighting a court case <laughs> so sir all that is now done for like all practical purposes the construction has also started recently the other thing that i had written about is that in 1857 hindus and muslims in ayodhya had united you know that hmm. there, there was a achan mia achan khan who owned a lot of property in ayodhya and there was ramcharan das uh, who was a influential hindu uh, leader and they united made a settlement between hindus and muslims and and that settlement that compromise survived till 1949 when somebody went and put idols in the in the mosque so mm-hmm. till 1949 this status quo where hindus and muslims both prayed in that compound was going on yes and, and what happened to achan mia and ramcharandas they were hanged by the british at the end of the when the rebellion 1857 war of independence ended and the british won they mm. executed these two one hindu one muslim of course they did thousands but these mm. were amongst the two people from ayodhya who were hanged by the british and that memory is forgotten from our history it's not there in our newspapers so we have a long history of hindu muslim unity which this present regime is trying to make us forget yes that's what i was coming to i mean like i said the construction has already started so what does this mean for india now especially since this is not just going to be a temple to lord ram it's in a way also going to be a temple to the hindutva movement that led to it and maybe yeah. modi especially right and yeah. also importantly because i mean the so called intelligentsia's reaction largely was okay this is a bad judgment but let's accept it and move on yeah i mean not only the intelligentsia but i think many muslims also felt that let this janjat be out of the way we don't want anybody to die for it anymore thousands of people have died and many people felt that now let's forget it this is a chapter behind us and let's move on but problem is that that kind of thinking uh, it makes sense to somebody who's a victim who has no power and therefore they choose life over keeping on fighting for something which is after all a symbolic thing hmm. but in reality it vitiates our secular democracy because we keep on rewarding injustice we do not come get to the root of the problem we reward people who have committed murders people who have committed loot 
in the name of religion. Uh, I mean, we have rewarded even the killers of Mahatma Gandhi. Forget about Babri Masjid. The killers of Mahatma Gandhi are in power today. The kill, I mean, the ideology that killed Mahatma Gandhi, which was an RSS and Hindu Mahasabha ideology, for one year they were banned after uh, after the murder of Gandhiji, and then that ban was lifted, and slowly, slowly they kept increasing their uh, foothold in the country, and to the point where they finally reached power. And having reached power, they are undermining the constitution of India every day without saying so. The, they don't physically go in in parliament and, and change the various clauses, but they, by ignoring the constitution or by interpreting it in a peculiar manner, they are actually undermining the spirit of the constitution. Talking about Gandhiji, you have called Gandhiji and uh, Baba Sahib Ambedkar liberation theologists. So what, I mean, you have written about it at length, but for those of our readers who maybe have not read that, what do you exactly mean by that? What do you mean by a liberation theologist when you say Gandhiji was a liberation theology or Baba Sahib Ambedkar was a liberation theology? If you put yourself back, I mean, one of the problems with those who have criticized Gandhi a lot in recent times is that they are very, they are very ahistorical in their critique. They, Gandhi said many silly things, many mm. wrong things also, especially in his earlier days. But he mm. was one person who kept on improving himself, learning from his mistakes, learning from other people, and he kept evolving. So to quote somebody from his younger days without and ignore what he, what the conclusion he came to later on in life and, and followed is wrong. So one of the things that Gandhi is criticized for is about caste. You know, they uh, quite surprisingly, some Dalits and some intellectuals have criticized Gandhi basically saying that Gandhi believed in the Varnashram system, the four castes, that he was against untouchability, but he hmm. didn't speak against the Varnashram, which was a four-caste division that is thousands of years old. And it's true that yes. in earlier days, Gandhi was reluctant to talk against Varnashram, but he consistently spoke against untouchability. Hmm. But over time, Gandhi changed that idea of his own. And towards the end of his life, he actually insisted that all marriages that he would support would have to be intercaste marriages. And that is a very radical statement. That is a, you know, because the one thing that you can, how you can get rid of caste in our country is if people across caste lines, across religious lines, intermarry and produce generation after generation that is so mixed up that you can't make out which caste anybody comes from. Like if it's, if five, six generations are doing intercaste marriages or inter-religion marriages, you know, you would, this whole system would collapse, the caste system. Yeah, because primarily marriage is one of the fundamental institutions that perpetuates the caste system. Exactly, because the caste system, as Ambedkar himself talked about it, it is, uh, it is endogamy. Endogamy means that you only, that caste remains within itself. Once it intermarries, then the whole system breaks down. So anyway, so what I'm trying to say is that Gandhi, towards the end of his life, was a believer in intercaste marriage. He, he actually said he would not attend any wedding that was not an intercaste marriage. When his own secretary was getting his children married, he wouldn't go to the wedding because it was not an intercaste marriage. Hmm. He, he prevented his own wife from going to um, Puri because Puri was a temple that didn't allow 
uh, Dalit entry. So there were mm. there, there are many things, and the other the other thing that people you know Hindutva has perpetuated the myth that they they some of them those who do admit that they killed Gandhi or they they were happy that Gandhi was killed. They say they did it because Gandhi was pro-Muslim. You know, huh. they they basically Nathuram Godse also. Uh, when he made his speech in in the red fort during the trial uh, which is which has now become a play a popular play me naturam golsoe boltoe i am naturam golsoe speaking he he said that he killed gandhi because gandhi was appeasing the muslims that and gandhi gandhi caused partition allowed pakistan to grow now hmm. all of this is completely ahistorical because the first time, you know, this I discovered when I was making Reason and I, I heard Comrade Pansare speak. Comrade Pansare is one of the people that was assassinated, you know, amongst the four rationalists that, that the film talks about, Dr. Hmm. Dapurkar, then Comrade Pansare. So Comrade Pansare points out that the first attempt on Gandhi's life was in 1934. There was a bomb thrown, hmm. on, bomb thrown on his motorcade in Pune. And when I went back to the newspapers and looked at those newspapers, yeah, that's that's a fact. There was bomb thrown in 1934. What was there was no idea of Pakistan. Yeah, that resolution came in 1940. Yeah, so much before Pakistan had been thought about. So then these and the same the people who tried to kill him in 1934. One of them was Narayan Apte, the same guy who finally did succeed in did succeed in killing Gandhi in 1948 along with Godse, Savarkar and the whole the conspiracy. So this, this Brahminical forces, these were Brahminical forces were against Gandhi in 1934. Why? Because there was no question of Pakistan. They couldn't say he liked Muslims. That's why they did it. They did it because caste, because of caste. Gandhi had already rocked the boat by cleaning his own toilet and insisting that his uh, doing manual yes. scavenging and telling his followers that they had to do it. Everybody who came close to Gandhi was made to do that. And Gandhi would clean in not just his own toilet, but he would do manual scavenging in the whole village or wherever he went. So that actually broke the purity pollution divide that is at the heart of the caste system. And that purity pollution divide if you break that, then you know you you say that manual labor is for everyone to do. You know then then it undermines the caste system. And the Brahminical forces knew that that is that is what really angered them. But then hmm. there was one more thing that angered them. In 1932, what happened during the Pune Pact? The Pune Pact between Gandhi and Ambedkar. Now today, some Dalit historians and some a lot of intellectuals have criticized Gandhi about the Pune Pact because he, you know, Gandhi had, what had happened was that the British had granted separate electorates to Dalits in during the round table conference of 1930. Now, hmm. Gandhi saw that as a way of dividing India because the British had already granted separate electorates to Muslims and eventually hmm. Muslims formed, you know, did partition and created a separate country. So they were also trying to create a separate electorate for Dalits. And Gandhi mm. saw this as a way of breaking up the unity of Indians. And he said, we mm. should not, instead of separate electorates, let us fight for within the system to get rid of untouchability, to get rid of the caste system. And mm. he promised Ambedkar that he would fight till the end to against untouchability. 
and that was the that that compromise that was reached between Gandhi and Ambedkar actually began the system of reservations. So mm -hmm. what what we today have called reservations began in 1932 because that was the compromise reached. And Dr. Ambedkar at that time, when I looked at the speech that he made, and he actually thanked Gandhiji very profusely. He called him Mahatma, which normally in his writings you won't find Ambedkar calling Gandhi Mahatma, but he called him Mahatma. And he said Mahatma was giving us more than we asked for. That whatever we were arguing for, Mahatma was giving more reserve seats, you know, in that bargain. So he was very pleasantly surprised. And then not only that was happening, but Gandhi had gone on a hunger strike yes. to force Hindu society to give up untouchability. Because he said that if that happens, then we can reach a compromise. And at that moment in time, if you look at the newspapers of the day, the temples were being opened to Dalits, wells were being opened to Dalits. So it, it was a moment of renaissance in a sense, where people were, you know, there was hope that India could really change radically from inside. Of course, that didn't happen. In retrospect, I mean, the usual criticism about this particular incident is that Gandhiji basically blackmailed uh, Baba Sahib into giving up those concessions. That's what I'm saying. That is the that is the received wisdom of today. Mm. That Gandhi blackmailed Ambedkar, and even Ambedkar wrote that. Mm. I mean, Ambedkar also felt that. But Ambedkar writes this in 1945, I think, when he wrote mm. the book for what Gandhi and Congress have done to the untouchables. Hmm. Now, what Ambedkar forgets is that Gandhi actually resigned from the Congress party in 1934. In, why did he resign? Because the Congress party was not doing the village level program to fight untouchability. So Gandhi resigned from the Congress, went back to village level uh, work to fight untouchability. He went, he went on a tour all over the country also in a train. So you can see all this by going back in history and studying. So Gandhi was, yes. was no longer a member of Congress. So while Ambedkar is correct to criticize the Congress for not mm. following through with the social reforms that had been promised, it's mm. hard to criticize Gandhi because Gandhi had actually resigned from Congress at, on the same issue. So, so going back, if, if we see it in retrospect, the demand was for separate electorates. If that had been granted at the time, don't you think maybe the things would have turned out differently? Because, I mean, without political power, it has become very difficult to attain social and economic power. And that is one of the reasons why the, the Dalits and the Adivasis and the Muslims are in the situation they are today. Because they don't have political power and that means they don't have social and economic power also. But look at it, the separate electorates, look at the meaning of it very carefully. In the case hmm. of Muslims, they, hmm. could find, they could find a geographic area where Muslims were in the majority hmm. and create a separate state. Hmm. But the Dalits are 16% of the population scattered all over the country. Yes. Scattered all over the country. So how can you have little islands all over the country which are separate, meaning who vote only for themselves, who do not, Dalits voting only for Dalits. It, it completely, you just imagine, try, you Think about it, implementing that separate electorate policy today and tell me what it looks like. It, hmm. doesn't, it does not make sense today to, okay. that, in, that in parliament, Dalits would only vote for Dalits. They would not hmm. vote for the, you know, so, uh, and, and also it would, wouldn't it create a eternal divide as, as if Dalits are a separate being from everybody else. Instead, what... Gandhiji was trying to talk about is that we have to get rid of the caste system itself. We can't like 
make the caste system etched in, you know, put it like it can never change, write it into law. Hmm. The rights have to be written into law. And that is why Ambedkar's constitution is so important because the, 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 those had to be equal rights for all. Hmm. But social change had to come from the heart, from, from actually changing people's hearts about give, giving up the idiocy of caste system, of seeing it for what it is, which is just mumbo jumbo, hmm. you know, making people think that they're inferior and making people think that they're superior. So that had to be, there has to be a law against it, but there also has to be actual change of heart about it. So I think that both Ambedkar and Gandhi were so important because both had to go hand in hand. One changing the law and the other changing hearts. I wanted to, your original question was about liberation theology, why I consider yeah. both Gandhi and Ambedkar as liberation theologists. But that, and that is because both of them in some way understood that a country like India was deeply religious, that the ordinary people were extremely religious. And it's not easy to tell people who are extremely religious that they should suddenly become atheists and mm. that God has nothing to do with it. I mean, I believe that, but it's very hard to convince everybody in the country that, that uh, <laughs> we don't need religion. So what yes. both of them did was to reinvent religion in a very modern way using the ethics that they had Hmm. basically changing the religion that they found traditionally quite a lot. I mean, almost radically. So hmm. if you look at what Gandhi's version of Ram Raja was, that words are Ram Raja, but it's, the content is not, you know, content is universal. All religions are the same. Every, every uh, religion is speaking about exactly the same thing. And we have to uh, respect all religions. Hmm. In the case of Ambedkar, Ambedkar didn't take the retrograde aspects of Buddhism. He didn't believe in reincarnation. You know, he's not like Dalai Lama and the next Lama, some little boy has to be found in some village somewhere here or there, China or India, and there'll be a fight about who is the next Dalai Lama. There's no reincarnation in Ambedkar's thinking. Hmm. So Ambedkar applied rationalism and took, the, took the, what is rational in Buddhism. And there's a lot. So it, that is why I call Gandhi, uh, I mean, Ambedkar liberation theologist and Gandhi also liberation theologist because Gandhi's religion in so-called Hinduism had nothing to do with Sanatan Dharma, hmm. violently opposed to Sanatan Dharma in the sense of the Manusmiti and the caste system. And that is why they killed him. You know, the proof in the, of the pudding is that Hindutva hated Gandhi the most because he was the person who within their fold of using the same religious idiom was actually changing mm. the entire system and making it more egalitarian, more universal. And then the other common thing between Gandhi and uh, Ambedkar is they both believed in Ahinsa. Yeah. He was talking about non-violence. Uh, Ambedkar also chose a religion like Buddhism, which talks about Ahinsa and non-violence. So these are also things in common. So when you talk about that ethics is the answer, as you have written also, to, to people, as you say, and I quote, to help people discard the worst features of their inherited religious culture and replace them with ethical, non-exclusivist interpretations. Correct. So when you are talking about these ethics, so do these ethics have to come within the framework of that religion? Because, I mean, every religion has those ethics, right? 
or do you mean to say that these have to come from outside no they uh, they the people who are liberation theologians are very ingenious they way they find hmm. ways of interpreting religious texts in a very human modern way so i mean hmm. if you look at the the word libera- liberation theology comes from actually christians who did it so it Christian is theology, uh, yes. revolutionaries in latin america who were fighting hmm. for the poor they interpreted that jesus christ was also fighting for the poor jesus christ yes. was the was like a working class revolution and they interpreted hmm. that way so and then even even the black people and the slaves in america who hmm. were fighting against slavery many of them used christian symbolism saying that god has made us all equal you can't say that we are slaves so in that sense they they there is a liberating potential within religion which has to be used by those who are modern thinkers and then mm. you can have a mix you you know i'm not saying everybody can do it i mean i personally can't do it because i don't believe in religion as say per se <laughs> but uh, but i think i do believe in ethics and there is an ethical component to many religions and you have to boil mm. it boil down to that mm. so in islam also there's you know islam talks about peace all the time there's so much yes, peace so is just as yes yeah so so if you highlight that and you highlight the fact that the prophet in his own time was very progressive the fact is that he came across an arab culture which was much much worse i mean even when we limited it to four wives at, at that time people had many more than they were actually reducing the number and no sir i why i asked that is because usually i mean it's become kind of a fashion especially among the what you would describe as liberal thinkers to just this religion okay we can only progress if we just leave religion but in a deeply religious place like say india pakistan south asia generally this sounds counterintuitive that you just discard religion altogether instead yeah. of what you are saying finding ethics within it and just highlighting those highlighting the ethics highlighting the fact universality of the best in religion in different religions mm. and so that is that is one way of getting out of it you know I, i'm not saying it's the only way so as an artist there's hardly been a project that you haven't had trouble with censors i mean you have always fought those battles i think all your life but even so do you think there's a growing tendency in this country to censor and even i mean violently suppress art that isn't conformist that doesn't conform to the current mood of the society i mean can you imagine a film like uh, ram ke naam or a narmada diary getting a film award right now no absolutely not and we <laughs> we we tested it out also i mean okay. uh, uh, in the sense that see with all my films over the last 40 years i've had to go hmm. to court almost many many times uh, yes go to court to get the censor certificate when the when the censor board denied it or go to court to get the film on doordarshan because after all making a documentary film is not enough you, hmm. unless you reach a large number of people and yes. that could be done through tv so we always what used to happen is that if my film got a national award of any kind then i would mm-hmm. argue in court that the durdashan has to show these films and then mm-hmm. we would have long court battle but i won almost all i won all of them in fact mm-hmm. so many of my films were telecast on durdashan because we won a court case against it some mm-hmm. some even went to supreme court like father son and holy war was in uh, it took 10 years yes. of court battles finally in supreme court they ordered durdashan to telecast it and then war and peace was also telecast finally 
even Jairim Comrade won a national award and finally Doordarshan was forced to buy the rights to telecast it. But just then the government changed and yeah. uh, Modi government came to power. So even though Doordarshan had bought the rights to telecast it, they never telecast it. So now we are going to court saying that the Doordarshan has wasted public money and they have not telecast the film even though they paid for it. And my purpose in going to court was not just to get some money for the film, but to mm. make sure that the public saw it and they have denied that. So we are mm. fighting a court case still about that, about showing Jairim Comrade on, on TV. Then we went recently, I went uh, recently, there was a Mumbai International Film Festival. Film Festival, yes. Which, which uh, I, no, I have had, uh, I've won many awards for earlier films. So I, as a test case, even though I knew that they would reject reason, I entered uh, reason in that festival. And, okay. and of course they rejected it. And ha they having rejected it, I went to court saying that uh, they have rejected, they have discriminated against not only my film, but many films which were critical of the government have not been selected in this festival. So we mm -hmm. gave them a long list and there was one more petitioner, Pankaj Rishi Kumar. And so yes. we went to court. Uh, for the first few days, the court sounded like they were on our side. They were giving lecture to the uh, to the film festival saying that you have discriminated against Anand's films for so many years uh, and he has won court cases against you. So it sounded like the judge was on our side, but on the last day, they completely changed. I mean, there was a weekend in between. I don't know what happened in that weekend. But the finally on Monday when we went to court, the judge was saying that how can I intervene and take the place of the selection panel that has selected it or not selected it for good reason or bad reason. I've not seen the films. So once he started talking like that, he gave a choice to our lawyer to withdraw the case if needed. Um, hmm. And the lawyer told me that there's no point fighting it here because he's going to rule against us and that will become a precedent. Other hmm. filmmakers will suffer because we have a bad judgment. So it's hmm. better to withdraw the case. So we had to withdraw the case. So, so that is the situation today. It's very hard to get a judge with any guts who will stand up against what the government wants. So that, that's what I was asking. I mean, and I, and I also, fights you have been having since before the BJP came to power. You have yeah. been fighting these fights for a long time. What yeah. is different now no, under this government? Most of my fights were when the Congress was in power and other governments. Exactly, yes. But, yes. but in those days, I could embarrass the government. I could actually, the press was on my side. We, we would launch big campaigns. Even street protests were done, like in Kerala when Ramkenam was not allowed to be shown. They, people came out on the street in protest and then finally the district magistrate had to, re, uh, to remove that order allowing the film. You know, the film had already got a certif censor certificate, but the local authorities were trying to stop it because of Hindu pressure. But anyway, so those battles are being fought and even now, uh, Ram Kenam, which has a youth census certificate, every time or so many times when colleges try to show the film, the ABVP goons come and uh, attack the screening or try to stop the screening. This happened in the last year, it happened seven times that, uh, that the colleges that tried to show the film were attacked. And, but finally, they did show the film because the film has got a census certificate and the law is on our side huh. on that. But uh, I wanted to talk about one more thing. The censorship is not restricted just to this government. The censorship is actually now happening even on the internet. 
Yeah, because you had a I just had YouTube a, also. Yeah. No, no. Uh, like Facebook and YouTube. These are mm. not run by our government, but yeah. they seem to be in complete. Uh, there's some some agreement between them because Facebook and YouTube have both tried to undermine the screenings of my films. Not just probably other films also, but I know about mine. Uh, for mm. instance, I have a YouTube channel called Anand Varite. And just uh, yesterday, I got a notice saying that your channel has been demonetized, the entire channel. That means you were, oh. you, yeah, because uh, they, because of inappropriate content. Now, my content is secular, democratic content. You know, award-winning content. No, award-winning doesn't matter. The point is that I I am upholding our constitution. Hmm. All my films are talking about what the values cherished by our constitution, hmm. and. Uh, and it's the people who are, the, unfortunately, the Hindutva elements, the Brahminical elements are there in Silicon Valley. They are there mm. in, you know, whether they're, whether it's Google or YouTube or Facebook, Zuckerberg's gang, they are, they're all, these are full of, a lot of Indians who are upper caste who live in America. That apart, they've got, uh, their review system is full of these people who might be in India, might be abroad. And so all they do is, you know, 10 people flag that this is bad content. And then they hmm. say, sorry, this is problematic. So what they can, they've never explained to me what is, what is wrong in what I'm saying? What is wrong in this content? But this is also, I mean, I understand what you're talking about, but this is also... Another thing they do is they put in, age... In a business... No, they put age restrictions. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, age so this is also a business decision for them, no? No, it's... but. No, I don't think it's really in the sense that India is a market and they don't want to anger the government and everybody. So they're that, looking after that their is a business thing, sense. and that that has that has affected me uh, even my, with my film distribution outside the country. Like Netflix openly admitted to me that they were afraid to show Reason. Wow. Otherwise, Netflix Reason was a perfect film for Netflix. It's in eight parts. They could have made it into a serial. Serial. Yes. Shown it. But they, they admitted that this content, uh, you know, if had Modi not won the 2019 elections, they would have shown it. But once they saw the, saw the way the system was going, they, they, they have too much to lose uh, in terms of if the Indian government decides to throw them out. Hmm. So, so this is affecting uh, distribution of the films in many different ways. This, so is very, all this is very depressing. So, do you see a way out of all this? Is there a hope somewhere that there, there is? A, see, there is a hope because I see fascism never survives forever. I mean, Hitler's fascism also didn't survive. Uh, Mussolini's fascism didn't survive. None of these fascisms are sustainable in the long run. So, we have to wait it out. We have to wait it out and keep fighting because the tide will turn. It's not, you know, this is this is impossible for them to have a system where the entire working class is made into, is demonized or, or treated like the way they're being treated. So surely there'll be a backlash that it's a matter of when that will be. Before yeah. the virus hit and the pandemic began, we could hmm. see what was happening in the country. The, the, uh, the movements against the CA, the Citizenship mm -hmm. Amendment Act, was hmm. huge protests all over the country. And they were not just Muslims protesting. They were, yeah, I went to a rally in Mumbai, which had one and a half lakh people, they were largely non-Muslims. They, they were mixed, completely mixed people of all religions, 
were against this citizenship amendment act because they knew what it was they they were hmm. they were they were basically destroying the constitution they destroying the constitution that guarantees equality to all there was a ray of hope and that uh, that started it started first with the delhi riots how they countered it they hmm. used the delhi riots a program to attack the people who were behind uh, all the different protests whether it was shahin bagh or jamia or many places and uh, that suddenly then in the midst of that the pandemic began and government got even more power to just hmm. so that uh, uh, we can't protest on the streets anymore over the last few weeks i mean they have even arrested students a lot of people who helped organize yeah. the protest and everything yeah, exactly they're doing so, revenge revenge arrests the, not only that but see they they have been using differences against muslims it's one thing against hmm. non muslims it's like the bima koregaon matter they have put people and they they have actually transported gautam navlakha from delhi which is relatively safer jail to hmm. maharashtra where covid is rampant uh, hmm. anand tumde and uh, gautam navlakha now both put in uh, in taloja jail where you know in maharashtra the, the jails have become so unsafe that the government actually ordered 50% of the people to be released so that yes. the jail wouldn't be crowded but what about these under trials you have not found them guilty they are hmm. you just put them exposing them to this virus in prison which is shocking it's like a if anything happens it will be judicial murder hmm. so that's what i was coming to so the, all this is happening i mean people even uh, there's a situation now wherein even people who do the most basic form of activism which is like organizing say street protest even they are being violently in suppress they are being the government is going after them state is going after them so how do you fight it when all this is happening no so there has to be different forms for different situations so at the moment mm. as we have a pandemic we cannot do any protests on the streets so we are doing it as much as whatever we can online so mm. in the festival that we are running where we are showing films that are important for people to see uh, that's one way but every a lot of people are doing you what you are doing right now using zoom now these are these look hmm. very limited and the problem is that we may often be talking to ourselves in the sense that people who already agree hmm. but you know on <laughs> facebook and other places i get enough trolls to know that there are people who we don't agree who are also reading this so maybe something will filter into them i should tell you that i have had very positive feedback from people on the other side it's not that Uh, i mean people who saw ram ke naam who had been car sevaks who had hmm. actually gone for demolition but after they saw the film they completely changed their minds and there there have been many cases where people have got in touch with me saying that they used to think like this and this has woken them up so it's not see the you can't uh, human beings especially people who have been brainwashed from the age of 8 i mean mr narendra modi went to shakha from the age of 8 and so many people go to shakhas and get brainwashed throughout their life but then something happens some some catalyst happens and they start changing their thinking so we have to hope that that is possible and and i believe that it is possible that people will not have these incredibly stupid uh, regressive ideas forever you gave the greatest example of gandhi ji i mean he started out as a one as one person and by the time he advanced in years he was a different person so yeah and and people can you know the everybody i mean there are literally 
hundreds of people who came from those backgrounds who have actually woken up, whether it's Hindus or Muslims, people who have been brainwashed from an early age into a certain way of thinking. Hmm. Some, sometimes something happens to completely wake them up. All right, sir. Let's leave it leave it at that hopeful note. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. It was really a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel.